Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. This morning, I'm going to... I've said in this church for years, as long as Julie and I have been here, that I've never ever taught a message on finances at all. I'm just doing a one-off today, but I'm going to start sharing some things about our financial life because it's simply necessary. But let me just put it this way. Let me ask you a question. How many of you here have all the money you will ever want? Put up your hands. Then I'll see you after the service. (laughs) There's always one. You know, you try to preach, you try to preach a message and somebody's, you know, God, Father, forgive her. Yes, I understand. Your supply never runs out. Julie, lay hands on her. No, but you know what I mean. We, we really do need to be honest with ourselves about money. It is true that Jesus, Jesus, you know, the man that we've said, we've declared as our Lord, has spoken more, taught more about finances than he did about healing and quite frankly, anything else other than to glorify the Father. And so, you know, in January, if you remember, I taught for a season a little bit on, on just the fear of the Lord, what it means to reverence God. And Saturday before last, um, I was just doing my devotions, and I came to the book of Malachi again. And it just, I read the first chapter, you know, it's about diseased offerings, and I'm going to read the whole thing. But it just really struck me, and I saw something from a whole other perspective as far as like my own position as a minister, as a quote-unquote priest. And I, as I read these things to you, I want you to remember that in the, we, we are indeed today, we're under a new covenant, aren't we, that is based upon better promises. And so when we read the Old Covenant and the Old Testament, we need to read the Old Testament in light of the fact that this is how what God's attitude was how he dealt with things under the old covenant but it would really be a mistake for us to misinterpret the heart of God as far as some of the things that he spoke against or some of the things he warned against in other words you know I am God I change not it's it's interesting to study in light of that statement I am God I change not and yet we see how he dealt it's just that the way he the reason he what he means by change not is once he said something, he will live by that forever. So in the old covenant, he lived and dealt with humanity through the writings of the first covenant, the old covenant. Now, when Jesus came again, it introduced a whole brand new covenant. And now he's still true to his word, but he's true to this fresh and new covenant that's based upon better promises. Hallelujah. But anyhow, so there's just some things I want to share uh, out of Malachi. And the last thing on earth I want is for anybody to be condemned. You see, it's like anything you say. It's where you're personally at. Sometimes you can take something as a condemnation. And that's the last thing I want to happen today. But I do want us to be honest, okay? Uh, And you have to begin with one thing. Is, Is the Father whom we say we serve, is God a good God? And hopefully you're able to answer that yes. Even if you're maybe young in the Lord and you haven't had a lot of teaching and you ask classic questions if God is good, 
why is there so much trouble in the earth and what have you like that. All those things can be answered, but they can't be answered in a few minutes. But they can be answered for sure. But God is good. God is altogether good. He really is. God actually is love. That simple verse. But he actually is love. And the Bible says in Romans, love never hurts anyone. Jesus said all the commandments. He said the commandments of the Lord are not grievous. That means nothing that the Lord speaks to us to be involved in or to do. None of it has any desire to harm. Every word of God is to, is to bring life. Now, you have to start at a basic foundation of understanding where you believe that. Every commandment of God is there to bring us life. It's to bring us liberty. It's to bring us freedom. It's to bring us peace. It's to make your life better. Okay? <laughs> when God comes into your life, his desire is to make things better. But again, like in everything, the Bible says in Hebrews that the word preach did not profit a whole lot of people because they did not mix faith with what God said. So you can know what God says, but very basically, if you don't mix, in other words, if you don't take it by faith, if you don't learn to live it out by faith, if you don't mix faith with what God has said, you'll derive no benefit from it, though it is a promise to you. So this is why we have to teach people really what it does mean to live by faith. But the just shall live by something called faith. And there's that whole wonderful, you know, hours and hours of teaching on what faith actually looks like. Faith is substance. Faith is a substance of things hoped for. It is indeed the evidence of something that you do not see. And Jesus said again that we are to have the God kind of faith. He spoke about how God calls those things that be not as though they were. God calls things that aren't yet so that they might be. Jesus said that's what the God kind of faith looks like. And he says that's what therefore we need to do is be an imitator of God and start, and start calling things that are not in your life yet. Start speaking of them as if they are in your life that's simply the God pattern. But you can hear that for years and never really have it marked, cut into your heart. It just takes time. But nevertheless, that truth is true. And it's one of the things that we have to refresh our memory about over and over and over and over again. Okay? But any count. So the reverence, I just want to read one verse in Proverbs 14, then we'll go to Malachi. In Proverbs 14, as far as the fear of the Lord... It says in verse 26, this is the Amplified Bible, Proverbs 14, 26, and 27. It says, In the reverent and worshipful fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence, and his children shall always have a place of refuge. That's a very pregnant verse. Where people have actually learned how to fear the Lord, how to reverence. That simply means if God has said it, I'm going to do my utmost to begin to live towards that, live according to that. You know, people who consistently, knowingly, is very dangerous to knowingly un disobey God. But a lot of us unknowingly disobey God simply because we don't know what God has said. That's why Hosea 4, 6, one of the basic verses we all learned early in your Christian walk is God's people just said, my people, my people are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. They're destroyed because they don't know what is true 
what they're asked, really, what they're supposed to do, what, how they're supposed to live. But anyhow, I, I just want you to catch this afresh. Learning to fear the Lord, to reverence God, is what this Christian walk is all about. And the little things. The little foxes spoil the vines. It's learning to reverence Him in the little things, the little promptings. When God says, hmm, you feel that leaning, learning to yield. Yield to me is one of the biggest words in the New Testament. Yield your spirit. Yield your members as servants of righteousness. Anyhow, it says, in the reverent worshipful fear of the Lord, there's a strong confidence, and his children shall always have a place of refuge. Verse 27 says, reverent and worshipful fear of the Lord is a fountain. I've always loved the word fountain. I like the picture of a fountain. Tivoli Gardens, whatever. <laughs> you know, Florence. I've never been to Florence in Italy, but the incredible fountains that are there that I've seen. But it says that reverent and worshipful fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may avoid the snares of death. In other words, the more Rod learns to reverence the Lord, what begins to happen in your life, your life begins to have, be a fountain. And in one verse it says your life becomes a fountain springing up unto new life. It springs up. Anyhow, so we're going to fear the Lord. I just want us to really kind of comprehend that. Turn to Malachi. And in the Amplified Bible, and before every book, there's a little, like a, uh, like a what's the word, a, a prologue that's, that tells a little bit about the history of the book. And I just want to read one part of it. And so this isn't in Scripture. This is, this is text and foretelling about the book of Malachi. Malachi, the name, means messenger, my messenger. The content of this book suggests that the second half of the 5th century B.C. was the time of Malachi's active ministry. The temple had already been rebuilt. The religious conditions were apostasy, intermarriage with foreign women, and neglect of the tithe, all which are similar to those prevailing during the era of Nehemiah. Malachi's chief concern is that the Israelites' relationship with God is not as it should be. They have neglected and mistreated God. They do not respect God as they should. They fail to observe that which God requires of them. Consequently, judgment awaits them. But the God-fearing people are assured that they are noted in God's book and will enjoy God's salvation forever. Hallelujah. Did you hear that? That's a good bit, right? So I'm going to start now. So anyhow, Malachi chapter 1. And again, like I said, you'll see why. Well, let me just, I'm going to start in verse 6. Malachi 1, verse 6. This is God speaking. And like I said, he's speaking to all of Israel because of this situation where they're not tithing. Chapter 2 is when they talk about them. And they've gone away from God's commandment to get involved with foreign women because foreign women would bring them under false gods. And then again, the tithe, which he speaks to in Malachi 3. But Malachi 1 speaks to this. Anyhow, verse 6. Just hear God say this. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is the reverent fear that's due me, says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. Now, priests. Now, when I read this afresh, like I said two Saturdays ago, now, I've heard this taught a lot. I've taught it before. But suddenly I realized he's actually speaking to the priests themselves. Now, before you get all excited about that, it doesn't mean just us people who sit in the, in the pulpit. It definitely means us up here. But remember, in this new covenant, we are all what? We are all kings and we're all priests. 
under our God. Do you agree with that? It says that anyhow, whether you agree with it or not. You're all kings and priests unto God. But he says, read that again. He said, if I am a master, where is the reverent fear of me, says the Lord of hosts to you. O priest who despise my name. You say, how and in what way have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. And you ask, you ask, how have we polluted it and profaned you? Well, by thinking that the table of the Lord is contemptible and may be despised. And when I studied that out a little bit fresh, when it says the table of the Lord, it speaks to all manifested worship of God in any form, whether it be communion or anything. And it's speaking about, as you're going to see very literally in a moment, it speaks about simply not taking the request of the Lord as sincerely as you need to, okay? In other words, doing things religiously, doing things just by way of repetition, and again, like I've talked before, doing things from a sense of duty alone. That was the difference between Cain Cain and Abel's offering. One brought an offering from a sense of duty, The other one brought an offering from a place of revelation. People who bring offerings from a sense of duty, their offerings are rejected, the scripture says. So God wants us to do whatever we do. When we lift our hands, we need to, we need, you know, much more happens when you know why you lift your hands. When you lift your hands because you want to bear honor to God. When you put money in an offering, God doesn't want us just to toss something in there. He wants us to know why we're offering these finances unto him. But again, keep remembering as we read this, God wants you and I blessed. He wants us to be a nation among all nations. He wants his people to be blessed above all peoples. He wants the name that we bear, the name of Christ, to be trumpeted around this earth. And the word all through Deuteronomy, it says, you know, that other nations are supposed to look at us and say, wow, look at the God you serve. Look how incredible it is. These people who serve this God are incredibly blessed. And look what wisdom they deal with. You know, who is another nation that's like this nation? That's supposed to be our testimony. But I think you'll all agree with me that hasn't, that isn't really the testimony of the Church of Jesus Christ in this day. And again... It's because so much of what we've done, really, when you look at it and if you get honest about stuff, we do a lot of things from a sense of duty. You don't serve God from a sense of duty. You can, but there's no real reward there. And that's all I'm trying to do. We need to wake ourselves up to this. But let me keep reading. He said, you think, verse 7, that ends up by thinking. He said, "How priests say, how have we polluted it? God says, by thinking that the table of the Lord is contemptible and may be despised. When you priests offer blind animals for sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Present present such a thing, a blind, a lame, or a sick animal, now to your governor in payment of your taxes and see what will happen. Do you get that? In other words, try that on your boss. Try that on the local store. Try that on whatever else you're trying to do bring us something. And remember he's talking about, remember they were supposed to, every family was supposed to bring a lamb that was spotless, that was without blemish, a lamb of the first year. How dare you do that? Oh, thank you. 
No, but every family member was to bring this sacrifice. There was the annual sacrifice, there were monthly sacrifices, but the sacrifices were supposed to be brought, were supposed to be of the first year, the first fruit, without blemish. In other words, not junk. Amen? Do you hear what I'm trying to say? We're not supposed to bring to God junk. And he's saying here to the priest, he said, if you, he said, you, you're offering blind animals of sacrifice, is it not evil? When you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Present such a thing, a blind, lame, or sick animal to your governor in payment of your taxes and see what will happen. Will he be pleased with you? Or will he receive you graciously, says the Lord of hosts? Verse 9, now then, I, Malachi, I beg you priests, entreat God earnestly that he will be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand as a defective animal for sacrifice, will he accept it or show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were even one among you whose duty it is, and I was talking to the priest now, oh, that there was even one among you whose duty it is to minister to me who would shut the doors. And that's a wonderful thing to look at. He means... Shut the door from everything else that would infect you or that would disaffect you from God or that would distract you and understand what your real on what the real honor of your sacrifice is. He said, Oh, if there were just one among you whose duty it is to minister to me, who would shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar to no purpose, an empty, futile, fruitless pretense. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from your hand. In other words, if you have this attitude that I can bring God something lame, something sick, something blind. 4, verse 11, for from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name shall be great among the nations. In other words, he's trying to say something here. Listen, you are forgetting who I am. I said you're forgetting who I am. I'm not going to accept something cheap. Because what I poured out upon you isn't cheap. My care for you isn't cheap. My protection of you isn't cheap. My favor upon you isn't cheap. You hear what I'm saying? And he says, For from the rising of the sun to the setting of the, from the setting of the same, my name shall be great among the nations, and in every place incense shall be offered to my name, and indeed a pure offering. For my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you priests profane it when by your actions you say, in other words, because of what you do, the table of the Lord is polluted and the fruit of it, its food is contemptible and may be despised. In other words, when you bring this lame offering, you're saying it's not a big deal. It's just what we do religiously. And so I'm just going to throw this lamb out there. Doesn't make any difference. Grab any lamb. Makes no difference. You don't check it. You don't go over it like Scripture says. Taught it during those days. You just throw anything over there. And he says, it's despised. But look what verse 13 says. This, this is what hits me. There's another place in Malachi. You say also, listen to the, how, what this really says. Ah, oh, behold, what a drudgery and a weariness this is. Can you interpret that in your own words? This is so boring. <laughs> what a weariness this is. Going to church on a Sunday. <sighs> what do you do on a Sunday? Oh, I got to go to church. Because, you know, I'm expected to go to church and whatever. And so I'm going to go and pay my dues and go to church so I can be a good guy. 
Honest to God, the fear of the you have to really deal with that attitude. I'm very, very serious now. Like I said, this is not intended to condemn anybody, but this is, again, every once in a while you have to go through some checklists. Any of us, all of us, fall into this trap sometimes where suddenly what we do becomes religious. In other words, it just becomes part of our rota, part of a routine that we enter into. And the truth that you find out the more you walk with God is God doesn't really want to be part of your routine. God wants your whole life. But why? Because he wants to use you to be a blessing to the whole earth. But we're afraid to yield ourselves to him, particularly when it does come to the area of money. Now, we can lie about it all we want, but like they used to say, you know, you mess with my food, mess with my woman, but don't mess with my money. And so a lot of guys used to say, at least that's what Kenny used to tell me all the time, you know. <laughs> but don't mess with my money. I'm telling you, that's when we get touchy because we say, we can say it's no big deal, but I guarantee you, you guard your money a whole lot more than you guard your mouth. And you guard your money a whole lot more than you guard your time with God. We just do because if the truth be known, you know, money is the big deal. It is. Everything we do is either blessed from having it or hindered from not having it. And this is why it's tough for us to sometimes actually fulfill the full will of God in our lives. And as I was taught all those many years ago, one of the questions that help you find out what God's will is for your life in general terms, not in specific, but in general terms, one of the questions that is good to ask yourself is, what would I actually want to do for God if money was not a problem? You hear me? In other words, if money wasn't the issue, if I had all the money in the world, what would I really, what would be my, what would be my priority? What would I want to do for God? I mean, if money wasn't the issue, but the fact of the matter is since today, is money is the issue. And this is why, again, the devil has done such an incredible job over centuries to the point where for centuries it became fashionable to teach that God wants you poor because poverty is closer to godliness, which is one of the biggest lies ever perpetrated upon the church. On the opposite token, of course, when it came to God's truth about prosperity, that evil word that some people freak out about, A lot of people went over the top about that, where again it became it became something became something about simply personal gain. But you cannot find a place in Scripture. Listen to me speak. <laughs> you cannot find a place in Scripture where people who actually obeyed God's commandments and walked in His way. You cannot find a place in Scripture where people obeyed God, where they were not blessed mightily. Did you hear me? You can't find a place in Scripture. When God's people were walking in God, they were blessed above all peoples. That's why other nations came to them. And again, one of the great problems in the church today, why the church is so anemic, that means weak in areas, is because of that kind of a factor. We are just scared to death to have anybody mess with our finances. That's a fact. I mean, you know, whatever, I'll come to God, I'll sing a song once in a while, but don't mess with my money. 
Anyhow, as I continue to read this, just think about it. So he said, but you, verse 12, but your priests profane it when by your actions you say the table of the Lord is polluted and the fruit of it, its food is contemptible and may be despised. You also say, you say also, behold, what a drudgery, what weariness is this? And you have sniffed at it. In other words, it, you don't take it serious. You just sniffed at it, says the Lord of hosts. And you've brought that which was taken by violence or the lame or the sick, and this you bring as an offering, exclamation point. Shall I accept this from your hand, says the Lord? But cursed is the cheating deceiver who has a male in his flock and vows to offer it, yet sacrifices to the sovereign Lord a blemished or deceased thing. He said, because I am a great king, says the Lord. In other words, I don't deserve that particularly when what I'm trying to do for you is so huge. He said, for I'm a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is terrible and to be reverently feared among the nations. And like I said, when I first started reading this, what jumped out at me that I hadn't really processed before was the fact that really the priests are the ones being rebuked. Now, like I said, we're jumping in two places. The priests in those days were the Levitical tribe, those who were called to accept the sacrifices from the people, the lambs were brought to the priests, and the priests then offered them unto God, right? But what I suddenly saw is God's rebuking the priests because they're, why are they even accepting in the first place sick offerings? Uh, see, I gotta be so careful here because <laughs> I don't want you to miss here what I'm trying to say. I, like I said, this is no kind of, but I'm, you know, I can't sit here and you know, there are churches that do that, not real churches, but I mean, where they, they, they actually look at every single thing every single person gives. And I'm looking at you this morning. I know exactly what you've given and what you haven't, especially you, B. Hallelujah. No, but you know what I mean. That's, that is just, that's, that's where, you know, the law comes in and you get into condemnation. But nevertheless, this is still part of how God thought then. And like I said, it would be foolish of us to think, that if this was the heart of God then, that we still shouldn't learn from it even today in a new covenant and better covenant. He said, why are you accepting these in the first place? You're the one who's supposed to offer. You're supposed to examine the offerings in those days before you'd even accept it, before you'd ever offer it to me. But you're just accepting anything. Sick, polluted, blind, lame, makes no difference. And God says, try doing that with your bill collectors, the people that you owe money to. Try Telling them, you know, if you owe a thousand pounds, I'll give you 15 pounds. Hallelujah. Well, like I said, this is not for us. We're surely not going to start inspecting anybody's offerings. <laughs> but at the same time, now then, we shifted that truth. Like I said, that today we are all kings and priests unto God. And I just had to look again. And what really hurt, it actually hurt me. God showed me myself some 25 years ago. And when an offering would come around... Often, I, I wasn't really tithing. I wasn't really giving 10% of my income. And again, people argue about that, you know. We're, we're actually going to, I'm actually going to teach on what God's Word says about finances for about four weeks at least at some point, real soon. Because I just, I want you blessed. God wants you blessed. And I'm just saying it's idiotic once you see what God's, word is not to get yourself in alignment with it because like one of the things that hurts any pastor the most is when you counsel with people and you see the pain that they're going through 
I mean real pain, and you show them a solution, but they simply refuse to acknowledge it. And you're going, you know, God, you know, and you so de- it's like if you have a child or something, you so desperately want them to be okay, and they keep going 180 degrees away from what you're asking us to do, and it hurts because you love them, right? I mean, you don't want your kids hurt. You want your kids to be okay. You want them to understand. You know, this is why you teach them reverence. You don't teach them fear. It's when you when I teach on fear. Remember the old. Illustration I give you know a lot of day you know if you see your little child that's six years old and he climbs up a fence and he's walking on the top of the fence and you're freaking out because he might fall off and break his arm we're not supposed to run out there and go <laughs> Billy Billy get off that you know get off the fence you're gonna fall and break your neck you stupid kid you know you're not supposed to scream at him and shake him to the point that they freak out because that teach the psychology says children have to be taught fear children are born believers they just believe. They don't know how not to believe until we introduce that to them. But you can, but, uh, and like I was taught those years ago, instead of screaming at them, don't do this, don't do this, you know, you walk up quietly and you say, hey, how you doing? What you doing up there? You know, look, see how far you are from the ground? You know, you could fall and you could hurt yourself. Do you think that would be wise? No. Why don't we talk, why don't we, let's talk about it. Why don't you help them down and you just explain things to them. So you don't want to instill fear in people, but you need to instruct them. But even then, people have to heed the instruction, don't they? If you go to a doctor, the doctor has to find out where it hurts. But if you don't ever heed what the doctor asks you to do, I don't care how skilled the physician is. When I had that liver transplant, I mean, I don't care. I had one of the guys, they say, is one of the top men in the entire world. But Rod had to lay down on the surgery, lay down on that cot, and allow that dude to cut into my body to save my life. You know what I mean? Now, if I, if I was to tell you I was so super excited and full of joy about going in there and having this knife cut me open in this Mercedes cut. Remember, they call it a Mercedes cut because it looks like a Mercedes emblem. They cut you down here, and then they cut you there and there. I still have these beautiful scars, the Mercedes scars. I always laughed when I told Keith McGregor that. He said, thank God it wasn't an Audi. That cracked me up. I thank God, man, it wasn't an Audi cut. You know, can you picture? Anyhow, but but I knew for me to live, I had to submit myself to that man's knife. But I trusted that man. God is that man. And God's allowed, he's asking us to trust him in every area of our life, not just our health, but our finances also, our relationships in every area. He has wisdom. He is wisdom. And this is why we read this word, to find wisdom, wisdom, but then you have to learn to apply wisdom. Otherwise, you just have a lot of knowledge. Remember the definition of the two, knowledge is just an accumulation of fact or even an accumulation of truth. But knowledge doesn't set you free. Truth does. But you have to act. It's truth acted upon. Wisdom is the ability to act upon the knowledge in the correct way. Anyhow. So anyhow, so in reading this, I'm against you priests because you're allowing these offerings to come in and then you're offering them back to me. I won't receive a defective offering. And what I started to say is about 15 or 20 years ago or something, God really showed me something. Because like I said, I didn't really 
tithe, but I would give in the offerings. But suddenly I saw this as clear. I'm telling you, it, and this again, isn't, he just showed me something. I saw myself just take a 10-pound note out and put it in the offering. And it was kind of like, you know, a blasé offerings come in, I'm going to put in 10 pounds. And I heard God say to me, so is that what I'm worth to you? Oh, man, that hurt. I went, no, no, I'm sorry. You're worth a little bit more to me than a 10-pound note. And you see, it's not that God wants Rod to go crazy and pour every penny he makes into an offering. But like he said, he said, I am a great God. My name is to be feared among all the nations. And you, my priests, are offering diseased animals, sick ones, lame ones, and you're expecting my favor to be upon you? No, he says it doesn't work that way. He says, I'm a great God. I'm a huge God. Please don't bring defective offerings to me. He said, because cursed is the cheater. Now, again, I'm not preaching condemnation. I'm just saying Rod's having to look at this afresh in his own life and what have you. But I, you know, with boldly without trying to sound impressive, I am so glad that I know that I am a tither. It brings such freedom to me. I mean, there's just something about writing that check. I, I don't know how else to say it. It's just that I know that I know that I know. It's such a release. I used to be scared. I'm honest. I'm, I used to be scared because, my God, you know, when you're fighting for every five quid, sometimes it's not easy. But then at some point you get faced with the fact, God saying, I know this is hard for you, but don't you understand I'm trying to get into your finances? I need permission. I need your permission to actually do what I'm the only one that I'm the only one that can do this. Do you really understand? I'm the only one that can really bless the work of your hand. I'm the only one that can bless the fruit of your life. I'm the only one that can do this. But I just need a little reverence of who I am. I just need you to understand I'm not holding anything. God withholds no good from those who walk uprightly before him. God's not withholding anything. We're withholding from ourselves when we consistently defy the scriptures and defy what God's will is. But see, you've got to catch this. This is not God trying to keep something from you or steal something from you. He's trying to get something to you. And it comes back in so many different ways. But he goes on to that last verse, which is a frightening verse, I admit. You know, it says, Cursed is the man who has a male, in other words, has the first form, has the first fruits, has this that's not without blemish, and, and doesn't give it. He said, you know, he just said, a blemished disease. He said, for again, for I'm a great king, says the Lord, and my name is terrible, and be reverently feared among the nations. Now let's turn to Malachi 3, the one that always talks about it, and let's just read on again where he talks about how, um, well, can I read, you know, in the second chapter is when he talks about, like, remember when I read about Malachi, it talks about also people who were the children of Israel were marrying foreign wives, and that was causing problems because they were causing the men's hearts to be turned to idolatry to serve the gods those foreign women had served. And in verse, the last two verses of Malachi 2, Malachi 2.16, of course, is this verse that says, For the Lord, the God of Israel, says, I hate divorce, 
and marital separation and him who covers his garment, his wife, with violence. Therefore, keep a watch upon your spirit that it may be controlled by my spirit. That's a wonderful verse, I'll tell you. Keep a watch upon your spirit that it may be controlled by my spirit that you deal not treacherously and faithlessly with your marriage mate. And verse 17 says, this is God speaking, you have wearied the Lord with your words. Yet you say, in what way have we wearied him? You do it when by your actions you say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? I don't know, but I bet everybody in here at some point has said, where is the God of justice? Where, is you? where are you, God? And he said, don't weary me with that attitude. I'm always with you. You hear me? You hear me, anybody? I want you to hear me. God is always with you. Hell's job is to get you to doubt about his love and his desire to bless everything you put your hand to. That's hell's job. This is why we don't give it, get in. Don't weary the Lord with such attitudes. And then in verse 1 of chapter 3, says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord, the Messiah, whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple, the messenger or angel of the covenant, whom you desire. Behold, he shall come, says the Lord of hosts. But this is the question, verse 2. But who can endure the day of his coming? Turn to your neighbor and say that. Who can endure the day of his coming? Come on, just say it to an empty seat, if nothing else. <laughs> this, this is a question. It's, it's quite a freaky question. Really, who can endure it? We all know he's coming back, don't we? Don't we? Well, he is coming back. If you don't know that, trust me. Christ is coming back for us. But who can endure it? Who's going to be able to endure? Who is going to be able to endure the day of his coming? He's a fire from the loins up. He's a fire from the loins down. And that fire is going to burn up everything that isn't part of his covenant. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like, I, I did this whole teaching years ago called the, In the Crucible. For he is like a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. And when you study out, gold was purified in a furnace, silver was purified in a crucible. And when you study that, but the thing about a refiner, if you can picture like this big pot up here, crucible, and all of this ore has been poured into it. And you've probably even seen things similar, but you know, if you're trying to smelt silver or whatever it is, they put intense heat. It's in liquid and intense heat until everything becomes molten or becomes liquid, don't they? But what happens, what happens when all the heat hits all this combination of ore and earth and what have you? All the impurities do what? They rise to the top. And then the refiner is faithful. He has this little tool. They would skim off the scum. That's what they called it. They would skim off the scum and put it aside. And then they'd watch over the heat. It says the refiner... One of his great skill was knowing how to keep the heat at just the right temperature. Not too hot and never let it get too cold. This is Jesus now. And see, he loves you and I so much that he's got heat under you right now. (laughs) 
but he's faithful. It's not too much, it's not too little. But what that heat is supposed to do, let's call it pressure, sometimes, it causes the impurities in our life to rise to the top. That's one of the great blessings of coming to a Bible teaching church. When you hear the scripture, it's not to condemn you, it's to allow impurities in our character to rise to the top. So why? So with Jesus, we can skim that stuff off so that we might come forth a metal that's pure, a vessel that will not crack. Vessels that continue to have impurities, when they poured forth silver or gold too soon, those vessels would only last for a season and they would crack under the pressure that came by a mere usage. You get it? You get it? Seriously, you listen to me? So this is why you don't learn to run from pressure. At some point you realize, okay, I think I'm in the melting pot right now a little bit. And hallelujah, Father, let every impurity, you just have to yield at some point. Don't jump out of the crucible. Because at some point, you're just going to get find yourself back in there. So I had to learn in many cases, just go ahead and do it now. Let's get it over with. Endure the pain, the suffering that doesn't come from God. It comes from the decisions you made earlier in your own life that were silly. But let this stuff rise to the top. Repent of it. Skimming today means repentance. You skim that stuff off. When you see something, repent of it. Don't go for counseling about it. Repent of it. Seriously. Just repent of it. Say no more to that. In Jesus' name, I'm going to move forward. I see it. I don't want that in my life because I've seen what happened before. I'm just going to wind up cracking up again later down the road just like a vessel cracks up because you, it got poured too soon. But Jesus sits as a refiner. Verse 3, he will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver and he will purify who first? The priests. Hallelujah. I'm, I tell you, without any embarrassment, I constantly try my best to put myself before God and say, purify me, God, purify me. Like I said, I hope it doesn't sound corny like I'm trying to get you to pat me on the back. But it is a fearful thing to lead people. It's a fearful thing to be responsible as a cause to be a shepherd of the souls of people. It's a fearful thing knowing that some people will believe anything that you say. And you want to speak like Paul said, I speak as in the presence of God. That's one of my constant prayers. Father, please help me speak as if I'm in your presence right here, right now. I don't want me to come through. I want you to come through. That's my prayer. And that's actually, can I just go ahead and be bold? That's what you need to be praying for me, for Julie, for Anne when she speaks, for Bobby when she speaks, for any of us when we speak. Because we're all human. Did you know that? Did you know that I'm human? How many of you think I'm God? Kenny, I see that hand, Kenny. <laughs> no, I'm not God, say the least. <sighs> Anyhow, let me read it again. Verse 3, he will sit as a refiner, a purifier of silver. He will purify the priests. But again, you're all priests. The sons of Levi, and refine them like gold and silver. Why? So that they might offer to the Lord offerings in righteousness. Remember, offerings that are done in right standing with God's will. Verse 4, then, I love the fact then, in other words, when we start, when he purifies the priest, when you allow yourself to go through this fire, this crucible, this furnace, because all of you, 
I mean, this is the beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing about Scripture when you really begin to see how God sees each of you. Every single one of you truly are more precious than gold, more precious than jewels, more precious than diamonds. That's all over Proverbs, all over the Psalms. God sees you as far more precious than all the silver and gold in the whole earth, you know? But again, because he sees you like that, he does. He does allow us because it, all of us are learning. He, all, you know, they had the school of the prophets. They had all these things, all this today, still in Jewish life. You know, you're taught, they're taught, they're taught from the, from the age of like six. They start teaching them the scripture because they want this stuff refined. And anyhow, let me hurry up. But it says that once we do that, he'll refine. He's going to purify the priest, refine them like gold and silver. It says then, verse 4. Then will the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as, as in ancient years. Verse 5, then, another then, then, this is cool. In other words, when we get our heart right, when we get our offerings right, it's really, now again, like I said, I am talking about your money because I want your money blessed. And I can't draw back from what some scripture says just because you might get offended. God wants you blessed, but there are some certain basic historical truths here that you and I have to visit once in a while. Again, this is Old Covenant. We're in a New Covenant. But still, like I said, I want you to keep hearing me say, it would be foolish of us to not hear what the heart of God felt like when people continually despised the offerings that he'd asked when he considered all that he'd given. Okay? Then, okay, verse... Five, then will I draw near to you for judgment. Not He's not going to judge you. He's going to judge every enemy that's around you. I will be a swift witness, swift witness against the sorcerers, the adulterers, against the false swearers, and against those who oppress the hireling in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, and who turn aside the temporary resident from his right and fear not me, says the Lord of hosts. I looked up in a couple of commentaries. It would take me probably three months to teach what is in that one verse about what God wants to turn around in the lives of his people once offerings get right. It's amazing. Sorcery, all the stuff that would be spoken against you in relationships, all the things that would destroy your life and stuff, all these curses that people put upon things. God says, listen, you get this part of your life right, I'm going to rip that stuff out of your existence. You'll just, because, now I've got to tell you, when God's favor is fully realized, see, it's fully on already. But when we get in alignment with the instruction of God and the favor of God is fully realized, you can care less about somebody's bad report about you because your life is shining so much brighter than their bad news. Hallelujah. That a lie is only treated, is only considered for a moment. Anyhow. Let me read it, verse 5 again. Then I will draw near to you the, in, for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, the, against the false swears, against those who oppress the hireling and his wages, the widow, the fatherless, against those who turn aside the temporary resident from his right. And fear not me, says the Lord of hosts. Verse 6, for I am the Lord. I do not change. That is why you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. Even from the days of your fathers, I have turned aside, excuse me, even from the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my ordinances and you've not kept them. 
Isn't this simple? Return to me, and you know what I'll do? What's it say? I'll return to you. I mean, you can't, you don't need a PhD from Oxford to figure that one out. Do you? Return to me. So you have to ask yourself the question, where have I left you? (laughs) Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, "Uh uh-oh, uh-oh, I know you don't like it. I don't care. But you say, how shall we return? Will a man rob or defraud God? Yet you rob and you defraud me. But you say, in what way do we rob or defraud you? You have withheld your tithes and offerings. Therefore, you're cursed with the curse. Now hear that. He didn't say, I'm cursing you. He's saying, you're cursed with the curse that was written long ago that would sadly happen to people who didn't align themselves with God's laws for offerings. You are cursed with the curse, for you are robbing me, even this whole nation. The verse we quote so often. But again, this is why you need to see this stuff in context. God says, bring all the tithes, the whole tenth of your income, into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, I know you've heard this before, but here to phrase, some of you may not. You know, we take it for we take it for granted sometimes that everybody in the church has heard stuff. But I was sharing with somebody, a couple that I was counseling, marriage counseling on Saturday, and you know, and the, the young girl had only been saved for eighteen months, and she hasn't heard. She's been coming. She's been here five times, and she had no idea that the Bible was even something that could be taught. She was just totally being blown away because she never ever heard. She didn't know the basics. An Oriental girl, but <clears throat> anyhow. It says, bring all the tithes, the whole tenth of your income, into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And remember this part, and prove me. Everybody say, prove me. Prove. Say, prove. But it says, prove me. Now, in my chemistry lab classes, there was all the difference in the world between a test and a proof. When you did a test... That meant you did not know what the outcome was, so you're going to put things together and write up your lab notes to see what happens because you don't know what the end result is going to be. That's when you test something. But when you prove something is when you put chemicals together, chemicals together to absolutely show forth the fact that you know to be, that you know to be true and you prove your theory or you prove the issue. God's not testing you. He's asking you to prove him. In other words, he said, this isn't a test. It's not whether or not I'm going to open up the windows of heaven. He said, it's a, it's a stone cold guarantee. This is, this is one of the only places, if not the only place, I can't remember right now if there's another place not. But it's, if it's not... It's at least one of the two, but I don't think there's more than two. I think actually this is the only place in Scripture where in context it actually says, where God says, this is one area you can prove me. Now that's heavy, man, but you actually have to hear that. See, this is supposed to destroy the fear about giving offerings and offering up thanks to God. 
<coughs> excuse me, but he says again, bring all the tithes, sorry, bring all the tithes and the whole tenth of your income into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and prove me now by it, says the Lord of hosts. Now, again, we need to read this correctly. If Prove me when you bring your offerings, your tithes. Prove me if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour you out what? What? Say it. What will he pour out? Is he going to pour out money? This is a very important part that people miss. People think, and this is where people miss sometimes God's grace. They put money in an offering, and they think that because you put money in the offering, that that's what causes money to come back. But, and yes, it does, and it can, but this is the, but the more important thing, and this is where people miss it. He said, I will be faithful to open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing upon you that you're not able to contain it. Let me just finish reading. Just a blessing upon you that it says, there shall not, I will open up the heavens for you and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Now, blessing, what people don't miss, what people miss a lot is this. When you're faithful with your tithes and your offerings, God says, you can prove me. The moment you actually release that into my hands, he said, I am released to do what I do, and I will pour out a blessing. Now, a blessing, the word literally means an empowerment to prosper. But what it is, what you have to understand is what a lot of people don't, didn't learn until it was too late. A blessing, like I said, it doesn't mean you look for a check tomorrow. It means he will pour out, in many times, many cases, an opportunity, or really the word speaks to a strategy. He will show you something. He will give you. He'll create a way where there is no way. He'll bring you an idea. He'll bring you a knowledge of a witty invention. He will bring you creative source. He'll, op he'll pour out a blessing upon you that will cause wealth and prosperity to come. But you do have to catch that because if all you're doing is looking for a check in the mail tomorrow, that's happened a lot of times. But if all you're doing is looking for a check in the mail, if you're looking here, you might miss what is coming here. You might miss something you just happen to glance at the internet and see, or something just happens on TV, or uh, somebody just suggests you meet this person. You just don't know. But see, this is why it gets exciting, because, Father, I release my tithe to you, and I'm declaring my absolute trust in you, that you are my source. And I know that you're not a man that you should lie. And therefore, I know that right now, again, you've poured out blessing. You've poured out an empowerment upon Ron Anderson to prosper. you poured out an empowerment and I receive it in the name of Jesus. I receive the strategies of heaven. I receive wisdom from on high. I thank you that my eyes will be open. I will not miss that opportunity. I thank you in the name of Jesus. My eyes will see what is your way, and my eyes will see what is not your way. I will know which door to knock on. I will know which door to say no to. 
because I'm blessed. I'm your priest. I'm offering this up in righteousness to you. And in Jesus' name, I know that you're not a man that you should lie. And so I thank you as I poured out this, you are pouring out that. And I open my heart, and you want to. I know you want to because I know that you adore us. I mean, I know that there's no question. You are altogether loved. It is by the compassions, your compassions that we're not consumed. Because your mercies fail not, they're brand new every single morning. You love me. You love us. And so I know you want me blessed. I rebuke any lie that says otherwise. Any lie that tries to bring up this reason, that reason, where I failed before, where I failed here, where I failed there. Yesterday is yesterday. They're dead and gone. But today is the day that the Lord hath made. And today is the day that I'm going to rejoice in you. And today is the day I offer up the first fruits of my increase. I'm going to honor you with the first fruits of my increase. Because you said, it is written, that then will my vats overflow with new wine and my barns will be filled with plenty. Hallelujah. So now that's, that, that, that's your word. That's not my hope. That's your truth. That's not my hope. That really is your truth. And you said truth never fails. And then he says, because we do that, what's verse 11 say? And he says, because you've done this, I'm going to rebuke the devourer. I'm telling you, your washing machine won't break down. Your car won't break down. Your stuff won't fail. Yeah, and you've got to, but again, you have to release faith for these things. The word preached being, the word preached not being mixed with faith does not prosper people. I will rebuke the devourer. Yep, indeed, in those days, insects and plagues. But think about it. Most of it was farming and agriculture, your fields. And stuff got ate up all the time. I will rebuke. God, better look at my watch. Hallelujah, I'm still okay. Anne's not mad at me yet. And I will rebuke the devourer, the insects and plagues for your sakes. And he shall not destroy the fruit of your ground. Neither shall your vine drop its fruit. Before. In other words, it's, you're not going to come this close and fail. Hallelujah. Neither shall your vine drop its fruit before the time in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And see, why does God want to do this? For these next verses. And all nations, see, because all nations are watching Israel. And we're part of Israel because we've been grafted into the vine. And all nations shall call you happy. See, people get mad at me sometimes because I'm happy all the time, except when I'm at home sometimes and I don't have my chili con carne and rice. Sorry, my wife. Pray for my wife. She has to put up with me. But see, happy. It says, a nation shall call you happy and blessed, for you shall be a land of delight. See, you as an individual are to be a land of delight. If the truth be known, you like being around somebody who's genuine, who's authentic, and who's happy. You don't like being around sourpusses. But I just want you to see it afresh. All of this, all of these promises, somehow they're connected to our attitude and giving. And that's what struck me. Doc Cole used to say to us all those years ago, he said, there's something so funny he said, I've seen, you know, when you tithe and, you, and you're a constant giver and a blesser to the kingdom. He said, it's a string that is connected to so many areas in your life. 
You may think it only has to do with your finances, but suddenly your body can be healed. Your marriage can be healed. You, all kinds of things. It can ha- your child will come home from rebellion. All kinds of things can happen, and it's tied to this. God's looking to find himself in us, and he's kind of generous. And all nations shall call you happy and blessed, for you shall be a land of light. And then he, let me keep reading. Your words, but here it comes again. Your words have been strong and hard against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, what have we spoken against you? Verse 14, you have said, it is useless to serve God. In other words, this is talking about offerings. This is stupid. I don't have to give. I don't want to give. And, and, whatever. and you don't have to. How many of you know you don't have to give anything? You sure don't. You can go ahead and stay stingy and mean. It's all, you, you, got that, you got that freedom. Your words have been stout against me, hard against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, what have we spoken against you? You have said it's useless to serve God. And what profit is it? You see, because you want an immediate change. And the servant of the Lord must be patient. I said you must be patient that after having done the will of God, you might receive the promise. Isn't that what scripture said? You need to be patient. You have need of patience that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. You have said it is useless to serve God and what profit is it if we keep his ordinance? And, but this is the part that struck me last week. And you walk gloomily as if in mournful apparel before the Lord of hosts. See, God, can you imagine heaven? You do understand that heaven is possibly a pretty joyful place. I mean, we all know that verse I'm thinking of, right? You know, in his presence or what? Fullness of joy and at his right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Forevermore. In his presence, there's fullness of joy. Dancing, singing, shouting, happy. Ben and Jerry's ice cream is everywhere. I mean, you know, all the cooks are French. It's, in, it's all incredible. Nobody has built home there, you know, because that's in the lower part of Hades. That's just for Anne, so Oh, I forgot Yvette and Martin here. That's for them too. But I mean, you know, but think about it. It's, it's so incredible. Everything's so beautiful there. But here we are. God's done all of this for us. And he said this. He said, I have someone against you. And part of what he has against us is when he looks at everything he's done and he watches you and I walk around like death on wheels. What are you doing this Sunday? Oh, God, God, I'm going to church again. I don't, you know, God, it's, but, you know, I need to go because it's the right thing to do. And God, I hope Rod isn't speaking again. You know, just, I hope, I don't know who's doing worship, but I hope it's not that person, really. And God, please don't let them go so long. Oh, crud. God. And now, above everything else, the intercessory prayer team has, changed, is, has messed up because the Starbucks down the street is closed. I was in shock this morning when I drove to the Starbucks, saw it was closed. I had my, have you ever woke up in the morning and just had your mouth set for something? I had my, I woke up this morning and my mouth was set for a Starbucks and for this particular little roll. I never heard anybody buy a roll there when we're coming to church, but they have this little pong. I, I speak in 
pan de raison, she says. I call it pan with raisins. They heat up this little thing. And I, we pull up there and the thing was shut. And I'm, oh my God, the land is in mourning. And I knew, I told Abby in pre-church prayer, I said, you know, you intercessors have failed. Starbucks is shut. Starbucks, when we were at St. Mark's North Audley Sheet, we had that Starbucks, and it's shut. That blew my mind the other day. And now we're at this church, and then Starbucks is shut. Something is wrong in heaven somewhere. So you need to pray for me. There needs to be a Starbucks open real quick around here. Otherwise, who knows? But listen to that verse again. Gloomily, you walk around, but really hear that. I know I'm having fun, but think about God's perspective with everything that he's done. And God forgive us, man. What can I say? See, God wants to, he wants you so blessed. But how, he cannot bless us if we don't align ourselves with his truth. What am I supposed to do with that? Am I supposed to just keep petting you on the back and say, I'm sorry, well, you know, do your best with your bills next month and da 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 At some point... You know, like, like I read somebody else said this years ago, will it take a tragedy in your life before you'll change a bad habit? Whew, that was heavy. Will it take a tragedy? My prayer is God, no. He, he, I didn't write it. He said, prove me. I didn't write it. Now, like I said, real quick. I've been so right there with you. I owe this, I owe that. I got myself into a lot of credit card debt. I mean, I still am in some credit card debt, embarrassed to say. Years and years ago, I did some stupid things. We'd have these big ministries come through, and I knew the church. We couldn't really give them the offerings that I felt they deserved, and so I would take money out on a credit card to bless speakers. And it's the most embarrassing thing on earth, and it makes me sick to my stomach, you know, because you're, you know, you're under that curse, that stuff. But I got to tell you, I'm breaking that curse every single day and every month now off of me. So I'm just saying I know what it's like. But because of all of that, when it came to the first of the month, the one that came to when Rod got a salary, I'd find myself looking. I'm just like you. I'd look at the bills first. I didn't look at God first. I didn't look at God first. I'm just being honest. I know all of you are perfect. At some point, God loves you so much that he will slap you in the face with truth. But he will never force your hand, will he? It's your choice, you see. Deuteronomy, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you. I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, please choose life. Choose life so that thou and thy seed might be blessed. But see, he won't choose for you. We are free moral agents. Rod has to choose. I had to choose to get past the fear of not having nothing. And did it happen instantly? No. I'm, like I said, I'm still paying off some things right now. But I tell you what, the moment I write that tithe check, and I, often there's all kinds of stuff, and trust me, I'm going to get into some other stuff later, not just about tithe, not later, but I mean in, in weeks to come. We're going to go all the way back to the... Abrahamic covenant, just look at some stuff. It's really life-changing. It's really good stuff, so there's nothing to be afraid of. I remember years ago, it made me laugh. Somebody said, well, what do I tithe off? Do I tithe off my gross or my net? 
you know, your net income or your gross income. And this old boy said, well, it all depends if you want a gross return or a net return. <laughs> I'll let you do with that what you will. But anyhow, you have said it is useless to serve God. And what profit is it? You know, I, don't, I throw a tenner in there every once in a while. I throw 20 pounds in there every once in a while. But like I said earlier, it really struck me when I heard God, when I saw myself 15, 20 years ago, over 25 years ago, I, went to, I th- just kind of threw a 10-pound note in, and I heard him say, is, is that actually what I'm worth to you? Everything that I've done. And again, it's not condemnation. See, he's just trying to help me. Is that really what I'm worth to you? A tenor. Okay. He loves me. He'll accept me. <laughs> but years go by, and you see all the things that didn't happen that could have happened. And then once you make the choice to actually start, like I so said, when you write that check out and you write a tie, the tenth at least, you know, you've heard me give some testimonies of that Colgate guy. Huh? He went to his grave tithing 90% Jay Letourneau. I'll read some of his t- testimony in a few weeks. Incredible, you know, tithing 90% of all of his gross income and having so much money left that he didn't know what to do with so he built universities to give scholarships away to students all across America and all over Africa. Um, but he had, the, he had the courage. He had the courage to actually go to God first and to put God first. Anyhow, you've said it's useless to serve God. What profit is it if we do this? And we walk gloomily as if in mourning. Verse 15, and now we consider the proud and the arrogant to be happy and favored. Evildoers are exalted and prosper. In other words, we're looking out there and saying, yes, and when they test God, they seem to escape unpunished. But then, verse 16, those who feared the Lord talked often one to another. And the Lord listened and heard it. And a book of remembrance, this is one of the books the Bible says is in the Bible, is in heaven. It says, then those who feared the Lord talked often one to another. This is what happens every time you sit down in somebody's living room and fellowship, house groups or anything else. It says, the Lord listened. When he sees us talking about him, That when we fear the Lord, he sees us fellowshipping about him and about his goodness. It says the Lord listens to that. He heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who reverenced and worshipfully feared the Lord and who thought on his name. And this has to do again with our offerings. And of course, this is what the Lord says after, because we've been faithful to do that, we fear the Lord. And he looks and he smiles. If you can see God's gigantic smile looking down upon you, and he points to him, he's got Michael on one side, Gabriel the archangel on the other side, and he says, look, they, those guys right there that fear me, that are proving their fear of me, their reverence for me, <laughs> He said, they are mine. And in that day when I publicly recognize, I will openly declare them to be my jewels, my special possession, my peculiar treasure, and I will spare them. Hallelujah. See, the end times. I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Then shall you return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him who serves God and him who does not serve him. 
I could go on into the fourth chapter, but we're not. We're going to stop right there. Hallelujah. No man, no woman, no preacher, no apostle, no prophet, no anybody can force any of us to obey the truths of God. And what I'm asking you to do this morning is just take stock of yourselves afresh. And again, do not be condemned, but, you know, be honest with yourself. Because I hope you know that God already knows the truth. You know, God already knows the truth. And he's not up there condemning you, is he? Is he? There's nothing in God that condemns you. But it's almost as if you need to see him with sometimes tears in his eyes and pain in his heart because he says, I've shown you, it's like there's a destination. You know, he wants you to go to Rod's house today, this afternoon. And so he's shown you, turn right here. And you keep turning left. And he goes, you know, how do I get your attention? Don't turn left, turn right. Turn, turn right. But think about that. He said, why, why do you bring me diseased, lame, sick, wounded offerings? He said, by doing that, you're telling me that's all I'm worth? After all I'm doing, after all I'm done, and what I'm trying to do in your life? He said, I'm a great God. I'm actually a great God. I'm actually a good God. I'm trying to get into your life. My name is really going to be great among all the nations. And I want you involved in this. And I need you to be faithful to what I've shown you. And then again, he comes back to this. So don't find yourself, do your best to fight that temptation to say, Ah, this is so old, this is boring, what a drudgery it is coming to church. I'm telling you, this is why you have to alert yourself. We only get to meet, like I keep saying, once a week. Let God nurture real expectation. I mean an excitement. If you can't be excited about God, you can't be excited about anything. I mean, you know, God bless our beautiful, wonderful friend, Cynthia, who bakes these wonderful cakes, but her entire life is given over to Arsenal. We, we love you, Cynthia. We do. We know you're a gooner every way there is. And there's nothing wrong with that. But <laughs> who's first in her life? If we say his first, Let's demonstrate this first. I know you need help in your finances. I know you could use more. I'm simply trying to submit some more of God's word to you. Like Acts 17 says, I, when I led the Bible school, I used to quote this every single week. Paul said, those in Berea were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with readiness of mind and they searched the scriptures daily whether or not those things were so. What I'm saying by that is, you don't, you're not supposed to believe me. I mean, I hope you believe, I'm supposed to be teaching God's word. But look into the verses yourself. Those in Thessalonica, Thessalonica were more noble because they searched the word to see if those things were so. Is this true? What I just shared with you this morning, is it the truth or is it just some man wobbling his jaws around. If it is true, 
then you and I have a responsibility to respond to truth. Okay? I can't make you. But in Jesus' name, I pray that you will respond to truth. Amen? We believe you've really enjoyed this message. For further information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any Sunday.